Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamelgirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new year and episode of District of Conservation. Thank you guys for listening to the series. I've received a lot of positive feedback on it, and I, of course, will continue the episode just because I fell off the face of the earth for a week does not mean I was going to quit. I had to take a little break to enjoy Christmas, and I think Apple not distributing it also was an impetus for not recording an episode, and things are kind of slow. So now I'm back, refreshed, recharged, especially after coming back from Florida. And today we are going to have a exclusive interview with the fellows of C-Fact, both Adam Hauser and Graham Baduzzi. So here is that interview from Florida. So for... Episode 17 of District of Conservation. It's 2019, the first episode of the year, and I am currently podcasting poolside with Adam Hauser and Graham Baduzzi, who are both members and awesome advocates with CFACT, which is the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, which I've done some work for, and I spoke at a conference with, and both the guys are puffing cigars as we record this so it'll be kind of like a joe rogan-esque podcast but minus the profanity and some bizarre topics <laughs> but gentlemen thank you guys for coming on district of conservation to chat absolutely happy to be here gabby um really excited our pleasure gabby looking forward to it thank you fellas so briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners and describe your roles with cfact and what you guys do Sure. So I'm Adam Hauser. Uh, I'm our national director of collegians for CFAC. That handles all uh, kind of coordinating our college outreach efforts. So on these issues of free market environmentalism, on energy policy, uh, we're handling. I'm handling that, uh, trying to preach that message to college students around the nation. Awesome. My name is Graham Baduzzi. I uh, assist in that goal and that message that Adam spoke of, pretty much just equipping uh, students at college to grow up to be activists to fight for things like private property, um, cheap and affordable energy, free market environmentalism, and overall just making the liberty movement take back the issue of environmentalism that's been hijacked in the lab, So And conservation too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't say that uh, again, Gabby. Uh, bringing back conservation to the forefront, bringing the debate up to the people, and letting them know we're the best side to handle that and push that forward. Yeah, those are no truer statements. And when was the organization started? Is it fairly new? Has it been in existence for a while? Kind of briefly go over the history and what they've been doing for conservation. Sure. So CFAC was founded uh, back in 1985. That predates even me. Um, by Craig Rucker and David Rothbard. 
Um, the collegians portion of that was founded in, I believe, 2003. Uh, I, I came on in 2015, so I've been here for almost four years. Um, and uh, unfortunately, David Rothbard is no longer with us. Um, but Craig Rucker is our, is our president. He's been with the organization ever since. He started this pretty much almost out of college himself. So CFAC's founding roots were kind of based in college activism. And so I think there's no more appropriate thing to be working on with college students uh, based off of CFAC's traditions than that. Very cool. Yeah, because I believe I first got exposure to it. And while we all have our political predispositions and we all are pretty much in agreement, this is obviously not a political show, but I, I think it's important that people understand uh, kind of the background as to how I got involved. So I first, I think as you guys very well know, I first got involved with CFAC when I was a college student. I went to the mountains of San Bernardino to shoot some guns in the wild. And I've heard about it, and I know a few other people who've worked in politics have heard about it. Um, but I think both of you have especially grown the program to cover restoring species, promoting uh, alternative views on environmentalism, the, the status quo of environmentalism, I should say, or the mainstream view of environmentalism. And you guys have really grown that program a lot. Is that true? Yeah, you you think? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely, Gabby. I mean, I couldn't couldn't agree more. It, it, really, it's something that obviously we've grown, and I think Adam's done a great job at the helm of uh, shaping the message and bringing it again, bringing it to the forefront, controlling the conversation, and making it you know, appealing to young people to get involved and the environment again, and letting them know it's not a leftist dominated issue. It's not something that's you know you got to be political. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of the idea that this is almost a political issue, uh, hunting. Uh, fishing. It's hard to believe that now people look at those those, uh, those uh, hobbies or ways of life or heritages as something that, like a right or a left issue. And I yeah, think it's always been divided like that. Right. Absolutely. And that's the thing we thought that Adam and I have really tried to bring forward is, is that it's not just a political thing. It's it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's conservation. Um, and really engaging in nature is something that is part of our heritage as Americans. It's something that is welcome to uh, men and women of all races. It's something that we can all kind of trace back in our lives and, and kind of point to it. And it's something that it's, it's important to us. And we want to just really reshape that message and put it in a positive light to inspire the future generations. Mm -hmm. So what are some policy goals of the organization and how have you guys planned to steer the conversation with respect to environmentalism back to conservation versus preservation because there is an ongoing debate not necessarily whether or not you're a skeptic of so-called climate change and whatnot, but I think a lot of it comes down to what is preservation versus conservation and how so much of the environmentalist discussion has been rooted in preservationist policy. So what do you guys, what is your organization hoping to do to kind of shift it back to a conservation-minded talk on whether energy issues, natural resources, wildlife, and habitat rehabilitation, all that? Yeah, so I mean, there's several things. The first thing that comes to mind, and you know, this is from what you were talking about, conservation versus preservation, is uh, you know, at the Eco Summit here, we got 16 of our student leaders from around the nation. Our president, Craig Rucker, gave a talk uh, talking about the basics of CFAC philosophy. He was going through uh, these plans by uh, certain organizations, by EPA, uh, UN, you know, other uh, really environmentalist activist uh, type folks. Um, to create these wildlife preservation zones uh, around the country and, and UNESCO the world. zones, right? Uh, I believe so. Or World Heritage, Heritage yeah, Sites. I think it's yeah. Heritage Sites, yeah, World right? Heritage sites, and yeah. um, 
you know, those are not meant to be, you know, conservation sites where humans can come in and, and interact with nature like a national park. This has meant zero off-limits habitat. It, it would be completely prohibited from even stepping foot in those things. And and that's completely opposite to CFAC's message, and that's uh, completely opposite to the founding of this country. You know, the founding of this country, like you, like you know, you know, uh, gun ownership, hunting, fishing, um, being able to live off the land uh, and steward that. You know, it's part of the reason that a lot of folks came over here in the first place. Right. And so CFAC's vision, and forgive me for my voice crack, I'm losing my voice on this trip. It's either, you know, a little, a, <laughs> a little bit of sore throat. It's my fourth cigar of the week. I don't know which, which you know, maybe a combination of both. But regardless, I apologize. Um, but, we have a lot of noise in the background, too, with some of the students enjoying the pool. So we apologize oh, yeah, if it yeah. is a little noisy. But to get back to the point, um, what we're saying is that, uh, you know, that's completely against CFAC's, you know, vision of these things, completely against, I believe, the American tradition vision of these things, which is that nature is meant to be uh, enjoyed um, in connection you know, with humans. And in many cases, in many cases, nature is better conserved with the effort of humans than right. if it's just left by, by yeah. its own. Wildfires rage, and part of wildfires is natural, but... With human helping, helping clear underbrush you know, right. appropriately, you can help limit those state, things. Yeah. You can prevent species from being, you know, burned alive and things like that. Um, you know, there's other things like that in terms of uh, hunting helps limit, you know, weaker species of uh, species populations, so that when disease or when you know weaker animals are in the gene pool of those things, that actually helps hurt animal populations and. You know, when certain species are thriving so much, they're right. eating the food for other species, and yep. those species are going extinct. So there's a whole lot of things that humans help contribute in helping conserve nature. Right. And so in many cases, CFAC believes that humans are part of that and a necessary role in keeping nature better and is not an automatic negative. So right, in like, many cases, conservation is different from preservation that way. Right, because we hear often a lot in media reports, not just in certain political circles, but the mainstream media, I think today, it's Sunday, uh, second to last day of the year, and in the morning news, despite all the talk of, let's say, other important issues like the government shutdown or other issues, they dedicated a whole hour, I believe, on ABC News to Michael Bloomberg talking about climate change, which is weird because it's not really major discussion, Uh, but oftentimes we hear the other side beyond politics, but it's pretty divided in terms of uh, environmental lines. Like you either are prescribed to something or you're not. It's kind of two extremes, but we see one extreme taking and hijacking and occupying the space the most. Uh, but them telling you that humans are the problem, especially in the United States, although our emissions levels have gone down significantly in recent years and we've pulled out of certain agreements and that's added and bolstered to those efforts too. Uh, but they tell you you have to give up eating meat, you have to have fewer children, things of that sort. And I think most people, even those who don't subscribe to a conservative or even Democrat or liberal worldview, will even be irked by being told that they cannot eat bacon or they can't have as many children in their marriage and things of that sort. So, so what do you guys think about that? Like that That's kind of what it is in line of uh, conservation and preservation and just kind of countering that narrative, right? Gabby, at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing, and that is we love people at CFAC. Yeah. We love humanity. We love the individual. We love, yeah, absolutely. I mean, our motto is for people in nature, too. Right. But it's the idea that we love humans, and we believe humans are a core part of nature. We believe that the earth is something we share with, and we believe that humans have the the unique blessing, opportunity, 
and privilege to steward that. And I think that's kind of our view at the end of the day is just we, we bring the conversation to solely about the idea of one, we love people. So we want people to be, you know, have a blessed and prosperous life here on earth. And that means having cheap and affordable energy. It means having the right to do what they want to do on their property. It means stewarding things to keep it around for, you know, the, the future, future generations. generations. Absolutely. Right. And we, we kind of, at fact we really reject the notion of a fear-based approach, uh, which is something you tend to hear a lot from certain people, sadly. Right. Um, people that, you know, are great in so many other issues and have contributed so much to society push a fear message of, you know, if you don't do this and give up some of your life, that um, somehow the world will be a worse place, or that you're a culprit, or that there's a victim mentality, and you are contributing to the you know the hurting the, the most vulnerable amongst us. We reject the message of, of fear, and we and we restore a message of hope, and we believe that through free markets, preservation of liberty, and of course the stewardship of nature, that can best be accomplished. Yeah, and you notice before we go before you answer, Adam, um, we see, and you guys can probably elaborate more on this um, too, but. It's just natural to see that environments, the climate, weather, etc., wildlife and habitat restoration efforts and initiatives to produce cleaner energy thrive best in free market societies or more free societies versus socialist societies. Like I've talked with you both at length about how my family's ancestral homeland when Lithuania was occupied by the Soviets, much like the other Soviet republics, and especially in Russia, they polluted so much, the water quality was dense and horrible, drinking water was abysmal, the pollution was so high, it was not breathable, and Chernobyl in 1986, that explosion and the aftermath of that and the consequences it bore on those people there. And you just see historical precedent showing that those kinds of policies where you tax people or you... Uh, claim you're going to conserve resources with the government, let's say an all-powerful government, doesn't lead to improving the environment. In fact, it hurts the environment and it hurts people, ultimately. Is that, is that kind of the attitude you guys see, too, that is not really addressed in the environmental conversation? Well, I'd agree with you in this, that you know, everything you're talking about, um, more socialist-style economies right. and governments and things like that, uh, they got a horrible track record on the environment. Where I might disagree is that um, that's not something that I think is left out of the conversation on the environmentalist side. That's something they absolutely uh, talk about. They just talk about it in the complete opposite way that right. we do. In that um, you've got people outright advocating, you know, for more communist, socialist-style governments, capitalism. With respect to policies, like what is it? In some new members of Congress want to advance the New Green Deal, which is not going to hurt. Right, like it's a, not going to help. In case you Cortez, yeah. yeah. Um, what what know, are the least, problems with the, that kind of legislation? The problems in, with, in with, with that, that type yeah. of legislation is, um, I look at it like, uh, you know, Social Security, right? So you look at Social Security, excellent idea in theory, um, has been horribly mismanaged uh, to the point where people who have, you know, worked hard and paid into that, um, you know, in future years have a real threat of maybe never seeing that money again. You know, I've been paying into Social Security as, I'm just writing that off as a, as a total loss, as Graham would say, you know. And so um, when it comes to the Green New Deal, and you got people talking about enacting uh, what they call carbon taxes, which is a tax on carbon emissions um, from you know, energy and other things like that. Some people are trying to enact a carbon fee. Uh, you know, it's like a diet carbon tax or something where they uh, would say that, okay, we'll pay a tax on the gasoline you use, the energy you use, et cetera. The government will hold that in a fund, right, and they'll invest some of it in renewable energy, 
um, but then they'll uh, reduce the income tax in certain places for lower income families, or they will try to pay it back to lower income families and subsidies in other ways. Um, but, you know, it just sounds like the social security scheme. It's like, trust the government with your money, sure. you know, and we promise that we'll give it back to you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a generation of Americans coming up that are saying, you know what, I can trust myself with my money. You know, I can trust myself in making the best decisions for my family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, innovators and entrepreneurs um, are going to have those best solutions to those environmental problems. Right. Uh, not, you know, uh, unelected bureaucrats or elected folks who have no you know, training or experience in these situations. And the last thing I'll add on this is that um, a lot of these policies they're advocating for, like the Green New Deal, um, they're saying that we need to do this, you know, in many cases for lower income families. Right. But, when I was growing up, I did not come from a well-off family. You know, my family struggled. My family, we were hard workers. My dad was a teacher. Um, you know, my mom was a teacher for a little bit, but she was very sick for a very long time. Um, so there was a, a real struggle there. Um, when energy policies increase you know, a little bit, whether it's utility prices, gasoline prices, whatever, even if it's just you know gas prices, you know back in the day, gas under two dollars, you know, a gallon wasn't you know the necessarily dream that it is now, but. Um, let's say it went from like you know 190 to uh, 198 or to 205 the gasoline or something. We'd feel that, you know, we'd really feel that. Some people go that now, you don't really feel that, but um, if that's like 20 dollars more a month you're paying in gas, uh, that's 20 dollars less we had to spend on groceries, 20 dollars less we had to spend on you know a birthday party or something like that, or to save anything up during the month if possible. And so there's real impacts to that. And so they say this is trying to help the the least fortunate among us. But I'm telling you, from personal experience, anything that's going to increase costs on, um, you know, utilities and gas, the things that every sector of the economy uses, and then say, oh, we're going to pick and choose which people we give it back to, I mean, that is the antithesis of freedom. And it's one of the worst ideas from personal experience that you could ever enact on the least fortunate in this country. Right, but critics tell us that how dare people solely make decisions on environmental policies based on that that's that's wrong-headed if they don't subscribe to something they're wrong they're anti-science and we often uh, hear just a lot with respect to that and that um, I, I think a lot of people I want to make it clear and I want you guys to confirm or, or refute this if you, if you feel the need to but a lot of people think free market environmentalism means disrespecting or abolishing all or basic, not every codified uh, piece of legislation, but they think that, oh, if you support free market environmentalism, that means you're going to want the basic assurances just to ensure that basic water or basic energy regu- or basic energy rules, um, they're going to be completely abolished if you propose this. What do you say to that? I would say that the free market approach, Gabby, and a really great question to ask, and it's up to a great point that I definitely want to address is that free market environmentalism is not restricting or tearing down regulations, it's unleashing the human potential and creative power in every one of us. It's respecting the individual and saying that we believe humanity is beautiful, is capable of great ideas, we have a lot to offer. Whether you look at all different groups, I mean, we have Elon Musk doing innovative stuff, you know, in this space. Minus getting the subsidies. Right, absolutely. And look, this is one of those things that, and that's the thing, we all in this community can look at different things and say there's good and bad. I mean, we look at oil companies, you know, this in the domain and those issues that we see back we had to take an issue with. Obviously, subsidies and the true free market environmental approach, we want to unleash 
the energy potential of all these groups, whether it be coal, nuclear, natural gas, oil, the name of you, hydro. We want to unleash those potentials to the fullest. We want the creativity of the upcoming uh, students graduating, the people that are already professionals now, we want that unleashed to better help humanity. And we believe free market approach just simply says get out the way and let them create. Get out the way and let them solve these issues. Let them have a crack at it first. And any type of system you know, that helps them better create, that creates an environment, if you are space, for them to unleash their potential, well, then we're all for those government policies. And we would say those are good. And anything that helps preserve their ability to create and move us forward right, as like a society. Right, like a lot of people have been confused about the recent WOTUS rule being scaled back. They think that it's going to disproportionately affect and diminish the size and scope of wetlands. But what the law specifically states and what I made clear on your blog, actually, not too long ago, and I've told people is like, read very carefully. It doesn't mean it's, they're going to be dismantling uh, any navigable water. It just means that navigable waters are going to be clearly defined from here on out. It's not sure. going to be a puddle or a ditch or some underground, undiscovered type uh, water source that people want to subject to regulation. Yeah, and um, one of my token lines that I talk about with folks is that Families and individuals that have been living on this land for generations are always going to make better decisions for the animals and the flora and fauna and the land um, than unelected bureaucrats who maybe have never been in those parts of the country sure. before. You know, um, like out west. That's absolutely, and don't get me wrong. There's issue, yeah. we know a ton of good people in the EPA and you know, the Department of Interior yeah. and. Um, NASA and NOAA and all things like that. And so there's tons of good people in there, but the bureaucratic machine can sometimes have a lot of unintended consequences, mm -hmm. you know? And so... And would you say that sometimes the state wildlife agencies do a better job sometimes of handling oh, absolutely. state I'm agencies? A, I'm a huge believer in federalism, for sure. I mean, you know, there's a reason that the states are called the laboratories of democracy, you know? Especially that, for these issues, for environment absolutely, natural Absolutely, because yeah. every state's got different environmental needs. You know, right. I'm from, I'm a Jersey boy myself, from New Jersey... <laughs> Um, you know, the environmental needs of New Jersey are so incredibly different from the environmental needs of Missouri and Montana and Washington State and Hawaii, you know. And so, of course, there's some certain national things. Free market environmentalism does not mean anarchy environmentalism. Right. You know, I'm a huge fan of national parks. I just got back from a family trip out to Bryce and Zion and everything like that. Love it. Um, I think nobody, I think that's one of the few issues that actually brings Americans together, the national parks. And seeing those funds restored or that program continue, Absolutely. But, Absolutely. I mean, we, we all have, I mean, not us, but I, I would say our colleagues, some other colleagues of ours have uh, different goals with how to fund it. I think there's the program. It didn't pass, I don't think, in the House of Representatives, but there was a plan to make it so that oil and gas royalties collected on federal lands or federal waterways, or I should say federal entities, not federal waterways, because people will think like, oh, we're drilling in here. But no, like um, whether it's offshore or... Uh, inshore uh, type of oil and gas exploration or natural gas exploration, they were going to take those royalties and put that back towards offsetting the $12 billion shortfall that the agency currently faces, um, that kind of stuff. So I think even people who don't necessarily support, let's say, natural resources exploration or energy exploration, they were somewhat on board of this policy of seeing those royalties from oil and gas and natural, yeah, oil and gas um, 
going back to helping offset that backlog? Absolutely. I mean, just another example of some of the cool stuff I know Adam mentioned from Parks Out West. I mean, a good thing me and Adam were able to visit with us and check out and, and, and really just uh, we talked in detail about their experience. There was Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs. Yeah, I've heard what that place is amazing. What an incredible place. And what a lot of people don't know uh, would be Charles Elliott Perkins, um, who purchased 480 acres of that land that included now we know as Garden of the Gods, and his ability to donate that and then eventually designate that as a national park, I believe, in the 70s. And now it's being enjoyed by everyone. And these are getting, this goes to show you the heart of humanity. This man thought amongst himself to be selfless, think about the greater good, think about society, and say, this needs to be preserved, this needs to be left for future generations, and he went out and bought it. And now we have this beautiful park for all to enjoy. Please, look, if you've not been out there, if you're ever in the Colorado Springs area, yeah. I think me, and, I think me and Adam both and definitely Gabrielle will, please visit it. It's a beautiful place. I've never been, but you guys have said so many wonderful things about it. Like, it's on my list of places to visit. Absolutely. It needs to be on everyone's list. It's absolutely beautiful out there. Yeah, there's also um, something I also want to segue into is public-private partnerships. And I've been a big advocate of that here on this podcast. And in my writing, and I think a lot of people want to see kind of a more balanced approach to that because you often see people chiding private landowners who want to cooperate with federal agencies or state wildlife agencies, and they do, especially when it comes to endangered species or predator species and other certain uh, encroachments or easement-type issues. How important is that to have those public-private partnerships? Not necessarily you're spending money, but it's, it's different stakeholders, private landowners, uh, wildlife biologists, others, working together to better promote and bolster conservation. We see that succeed, and I think a lot of the times we lose track and, and kind of have setbacks because people don't want to have private landowners or so-called private interests involved, and I think that would be a detriment if we don't have private stakeholders involved. So what do you guys say to that point, too? Is that something CFACT cares deeply about, too? Yes, it's absolutely something we advocate for. Prior to coming with CFACT, I worked uh, with New Jersey State Senator Anthony Arbuco, senior, uh, in North Jersey doing you know legislation, speech writing. Um, doing a lot of community issues, too. And some of them is near and dear to uh, Senator Bucco's heart um, is quality of Lake Hepatcom, uh in New Jersey. There's a lot of invasive weed species up there, uh, plaguing residents there for, you know, years and years and years. Um, and for a long time, uh, Senator Bucco would host these coalition meetings between homeowners, uh, environmental groups, the state government, uh, the federal EPA, um, you know, private businesses, uh, fishermen, uh, all those stakeholders together in his office to try to solve these issues and talk it out and figure out what needed to be done. Um, and so, you know, this is just, and he's a private business owner himself. You know, and so not even necessarily, you know, you know, the last thing you ever want to do is sell like Capacon or something like that. And you have like McDonald's like right in the middle of it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking no, no, I don't know anyone advocating for that. Absolutely not. <laughs> what we're talking about is all these stakeholders working together. Right. right. And so, um, Which is crucial. Absolutely. Senator Bucco fought for, for state funding for that cleanup, and he eventually won a large amount of that. But it wasn't without the help of those private uh, individuals, homeowners, property rights uh, you know, advocates, um, business owners who would say, you know, we'll, we'll donate this or we'll do that, you know, or we'll try to help with this. Um, all in this together, you know what I mean? And so uh, a lot of times take this heavy-handed, you know, this can only be the government type of thing. When there's a lot of people out there who genuinely care and have a lot of good ideas, just looking for a niche to get involved, you know. 
I want to ask you guys two more quick things. So the first one being, what are some goals that you guys have for the coming year? You can start there. And then how can those interested, whether they're in college or even beyond college, postgraduate, uh, get involved with CFACT or also just the issue at hand? Sure. Gabby, one of the main things we want to do is set ourselves up as a beacon and a place for the hunters, the anglers, the, 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 the students who hope to work in the energy industry um, who want to go into because public policy. If I may interject quickly, sure. because people, I've had a lot of conversations with hunters who work in the industry, and there's a lot of divisions. We won't go so much into it in this episode, but you guys have heard about the divisions between certain hunting groups because they don't like certain energy affiliations, but a lot of hunters and anglers are partaking in the energy industry because that's their livelihood. So proceed, but I wanted to oh, make that point no, very clear. No, it's great. It's good to clarify. Gabby, at the end of the day, we want to unify the message of CFACT is unity. We want to bring all these groups of hunters and anglers, of people that enjoy parks, hikers, um, people that work in the energy industry. Ranchers. Of, yeah, other ranchers. People, I mean, people that yeah. value private property and raise livestock. Agriculture, people that grow crops. Uh, we want to allow the people, again, one of the main things in Louisiana is, of course, you know, rice, soybeans, some of that. We want them to be able to use the latest technology to help their rice, to, to be able to, you know, grow rice in less amounts of, you know, field, uh, to produce higher yields. And what that does, that, able, that allows them to have the same amount of yield, but also, you know, preserve that land. I mean, that's less land used for farming. They can do a lot of stuff with that. They can preserve it. They can um, rent it out for hunters. I'm a big waterfowl guy, as you know, and um, be able to flood those rice fields and, and be able to, you know, uh, hunt in those areas is really great. And I, what we, at the end of the day, see back our message is just to bring those people together, to unify them with our message of really just, like you said, conservation. Right. And that all people from all walks of life and numerous industries, numerous interest groups, we can all unite on that issue of preserving what we have while moving humanity forward. And we just sure. want these people to know, these students, mostly with me and Adam working most with the collegiates and educational aspects of CFAC, to know that there's a place for you. There's a place for open dialogue, healthy dialogue, of good debate, of uh, exchanging of ideas, and solving the major crises that affect our wetlands, that affect our state, that affect our water issues, right. aquifers, um, desalination in California, you name it, wildfires. There's a place for them that they're welcome and we, we ask all of them, if you're interested in us, please check us out. I'll go a little plug here, if that's okay. No, www.cfactcampus.org if you're a student. And, of course, you can check us out at www.cfact.org to learn more. And we just want to be a beacon for those people from all walks of life to be able to come together and appreciate that. And, and specifically, what tangible goals do you guys have? Do you have any specific goals that you're hoping to do, especially with, let's say, the new change in the House Natural Resources Committee and certain changes in the House? Do you guys have any of your goals affected? But I know it's mostly campus, but the organization as a whole, will their goals be altered perhaps because of that change? I know elsewhere it's going to still be okay, but do you guys see any impeding of, let's say, free market environmentalism coming with 2019? Well, I mean, I guess the two aspects of that question. One is like, you know, CFAC National as a whole, our goals. Uh, we're a 501c3, so we can't advocate for specific right. legislation, but the issues... Um, you know, we're all about, and, uh, you know, so on that scale, the how, uh, you know, a lot of, um, issues in the house, you know, possibly being derailed in terms of, uh, reforming a lot of government policies that are negatively impacting countries, negatively impacting landowners, ranchers, uh, things like that. Um, there, I know there's a lot of reforms looking to get done in the department of the interior that, a lot of things can be done administratively, but not everything. Some right. has to be recodified by the Congress. 
And so there's some things they're trying to rush through before, you know, some groups who don't like humans having any touch at all, like we talked about conservation preservation thing. Um, so we're going to continue working with our, our partners in, you know, EPA and uh, Department of Interior and things like that to see what we can do to advocate for awareness of those things on both sides of the aisle, um, which is, you know, again, not advocating for that specific legislation, but helping to educate right. uh, members about those yeah, things. Yeah, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. On a collegians level, um, you know, asking for specifics you were talking about. Um, in the 2019 year, I mean, you know, it, we would love to start 10 new CFAC chapters around the country. Um, that's something that we have, uh, well, you know, we set those goals high, you know. And, yeah, it's a um, good, good goal to absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, our collegians um, start chapters, and what the chapters does is uh, we invite expert speakers to your school. You know, so whether that's Paul Dreesen, our uh, policy advisor, whether that's um, you know Martha Bennett, a property rights activist, whether that's yourself, Gabby, and you know talking about hunting issues, um, and you get to talk about these issues with your peers in a way that you never thought you would. We go on tours, uh, touring you know oil rigs, touring nuclear facilities, touring. Um, you know, nature hikes, uh, you know, will bring or folks just out like hunting. Us, this weekend, we got to tour a manatee facility, exactly see a little right. bit of manatees. We went to a, a manatee center, and the great thing about that is that um, at that manatee center, the reason that exists is because there is a uh, power plant right there. Right. The discharge water from that, which is Tampa completely electric, clean, correct? Yeah. is warmer than the normal water. So in winter, it's a perfect place for manatees to come hang out and feel safe. Right. And so that's one way, again, of humans impacting that. But back to those specific goals, um, you know, 10 new chapters, bringing in uh, six speakers around the country, um, really having that impact there. Whether you're a part of college Republicans, Young Americans for Freedom, Young Americans for Liberty, whether you're nonpartisan, whether you're a Democrat, if you care about the environment and you think that humanity, you know, should have an active role in that, but we should also care about humanity's needs as well. We want to work with you, you know, and we want to bring stuff, that message to your campus. So like Graham said, um, you know, you check us out at cfactcampus.org. Uh, we're on social media at CFACT Campus. Uh, Instagram is just CFACT, you know, specific plugs. Plug here. in your but, personal handles too. I hope people follow oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. You yes, know, don't be shy. Adam.Hauser, uh, Adam underscore Hauser, you know, super boring on mine, but, um, you know, follow us, check us out, we'll interact with you, um, you know, but reach and then, Graham, out do you to us. Plug in? Your... Reach out to us and we'll get in touch with you and work with you on the issues that you care about. Yeah. So. Grant, please plug in your stuff too. Sure. Thanks, Gabby. Uh, mine is pretty simple. It's G for my first name, Graham. My last name, Beduzzi, B-E-D-U-Z-E. And that's at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And love to connect, love to share thoughts, and love to engage in healthy dialogue. And mine's H-O-U-S-E-R. I forgot, I should probably spell Hauser. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys plugging in your information, providing a lot of context behind your organization, giving a little recap of what our weekend has been here and kind of your policy goals and initiatives. I think people are curious to know about what free market environmentalism entails, kind of the nuances surrounding it, and I've been trying to do my little small part with it, but I wanted to bring those actively participating in it in the trenches to talk about it because it is so crucial, especially in... Especially in an area era where intellectual discourse is not at the highest level and people are beckoning to have more viewpoints on controversial issues like climate or environmental issues kind of surface more. So I think there is a niche and you guys have obviously been occupying that niche really well. So I thank you guys for letting me interview you during this poolside late night <laughs> podcast episode for 
my first episode of 2019. So I thank you guys so much for coming and sharing your wisdom. It's been a pleasure, Gabby. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for all you do as well. Oh, you guys are too sweet. Thank you. So make sure you guys connect with both of these gentlemen, follow their organization. I will include everything in the show notes for you guys to follow and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Interview with the fellas from C-Fact. If you have questions about that, don't hesitate to ask me. And if you guys want to support this podcast and see it go far and wide, be sure to subscribe to us and download every episode past, present and future at iTunes at district of conservation. Type us in the search bar. You'll easily find us. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are all over social media, so don't hesitate to follow us there. If you ever have a question, a thought, a comment, if you want to leave a review in the affirmative or the negative, you're more than welcome to. Uh, I like every bit of critique, criticism, affirmation. I look forward to all thoughts on the podcast and what you guys feel about the content. So we're back. We're ready. And we're going to have more episodes coming for 2019 that are going to be riveting and informative. So thank you guys for listening and stay tuned.